Welcome to Denver Sports Tonight. Taking a look at the biggest stories in Denver sports. From your online home for the best opinions and information on the Broncos, Nuggets, Avalanche, Rockies, and more. DenverSports.com. And it is Denver Sports Tonight on this Tuesday night in the Mile High City. He's Andrew Mason. I'm Will Peterson. We will be with you for the next hour as we bounce around the world of Denver sports. You've got Kyle Freeland potentially making an appearance in the World Baseball Classic Championship tonight. You've got the Broncos shuffling one punter in, welcoming him back and sending another packing. But Mace, we begin with the news of the afternoon that the Colorado Avalanche have given Jared Bednar a three-year extension that will run through the 26-27 season. Essentially, he'll finish his current deal through next year, and then they tacked on three to that. We had seen one-year extensions for our guy, Bedsy, but uh, this is a major uh, endorsement, if you will, from KSE, Kroenke Sports and Entertainment, that they want Jared, Bedcar- Jared Bednar to be their head coach for the foreseeable future, and obviously... Winning the Stanley Cup a season ago, it seems to be very well-deserved. Yeah, and, I mean, that's what spurs this. I mean, honestly, when the news came down, my first reaction was, what took so long? This is the sort of thing that I think could have happened months ago. Once the all, Every question that Jared Bednar still had to answer, he, he answered last spring. Yep. So, absolutely no reason not to, uh, not to get this done. It's, it's a kind of a perfect marriage of of team and coach and we see it again this year despite the injuries he's pushing a lot of the right buttons right now i mean i would actually say in some ways he's doing a better coaching job now than he did last year considering all the adversity they've faced with the injuries i mean mace outside of miko rantanen Every significant player on this team, and perhaps Alexander Georgiev, unless I'm missing something, has sat out multiple games, long stretches for injuries. Nathan McKinnon missed a month. Kale McCarr played two games in the month of February with his concussions. Gabe Landeskog hasn't skated all season. Nachushkin's been in and out of the lineup. Arturi Lekkanen just broke his finger. My point being, Jared Bednar has done a masterful job to have the Avs on the verge of potentially winning the Central Division once again when, what, a month ago? Mm-hmm. We were wondering if they were going to make the playoffs. And maintaining chemistry despite all the ins and outs. And that that is where I think his background as somebody who came up through the minor leagues, I think it's really helped him this year and has helped the team this year. I mean, a lot of, co- you know, a lot of coaches don't take the path to the NHL that Jared Bednar did, and you know, there was a moment after his first season here where you thought he might be going back to the the AHL to the to the ECHL and becoming kind of a a legend down there, like the late John Brophy was for a long time. He had a brief shot with Toronto back in the eighties, but mostly was you know on that uh, you know, on the minor league level. But he he proved otherwise over time. But the, when you're functioning in minor league hockey, sometimes that locker room can be like a bus depot, mm. just constant ins and outs, players getting called up, having having to shuffle things around. And I, I'm i not sure that with a coach who didn't have an extensive background playing and coaching in the ECHL, especially like he did, I don't know that you every coach would have handled everything that has happened in terms of the constant shuffling in the Avs lineup as Bednar has. And so here we have a coach who's proven that he can lead you on a run 
in the Stanley Cup when th- in the playoffs when things are going beautifully. And he can keep the boat afloat when there's a lot of adversity like last, like there has been over the last few months. He's the complete package as a head coach. You I mean, met, Sorry, you mentioned that first season in Colorado, Mace. They had 48 points. Yeah. It was rock bottom. It was miserable. They were the worst team in the NHL. And Bedsy, it was his first year. Now, do you remember why Jared Bednar got thrust into that role with about mm, six weeks to two months' notice? Because Patrick, Patrick Waugh got up and quit in August. August. He wasn't, yeah, if the Avs had had a normal search that took place right after a season, it's Jared, would have been Bednar. Is Jared Bednar the coach. No, it's funny how fate works like mm-hmm. that, right? So Waugh left him in a lurch. And I give the Avalanche organization credit. It was Joe Sackick's decision at the time. He's now the president. He was the GM. And he just said, I'm not going to fire a guy one and done that we had to hire in unique and odd circumstances in August. Mm -hmm. And Sackick's looked like a genius because the next year they go to the playoffs as a, a, a surprise team that won their very last game. And they, yeah, they lose to Nashville in the first round, but it was in six. And then that started the streak of the painful second-round losses, the one to the Sharks, where Landis Gog may or may not have been offside. I personally don't think he was. The one to the Stars in the bubble in Game 7 in overtime. And then, of course, the, the most infamous one, collapsing against Vegas in 2021, losing four straight to the Knights. And some people called for Betsy's job at that point. Mm-hmm. Some people did. Three straight second-round losses. And he had to get them not only through the second round last year, but probably even to the final to really feel secure, and he got him to the mountaintop. And ironically enough, Mace, the second round boogeyman got broken because of a goal with four seconds left in St. Louis by Darren Helm yep. to not force a pivotal game seven. It's been a journey for Bedsy, and he will now, uh, he's already the winningest coach in his history, and he will now spend a decade of his life at least as the head coach of the Colorado Avalanche. It's wild to think about what would have happened if Helm doesn't get that goal in St. Louis. Oh, I and you go to overtime and lose, and you have to come back for a game seven, and... How tight would the sphincters have been mm-hmm. up and down the front range that night? But, I mean, sports is filled with moments like that. I'm glad you mentioned the, the circumstances of Bednar's first season because it wasn't just the late hire, but also because the late hire, that wasn't his staff. Mm. It was just, okay, this is Patrick Waugh's staff. You're going to be the head coach. Shades of Vance Joseph getting yes. told who his staff mm-hmm. would be when he was hired as the Broncos head coach. Right, but they... To their credit, they let they gave Jared Bednar the time to grow and become his own man as the coach, and I think he's he, he's he's got that perfect blend. I think of 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 of, of tactical strength, motivation, uh, motivational ability, and also, and I think that's where the minor league background has helped. When you've got a wave of call-ups from the Colorado Eagles who have to come up on short notice and play, who better understands that type of experience than the guy who was a minor, who looked like, in terms of being a player and as a coach, looked for a time like he was going to be a minor league lifer. That's a great point because earlier this year we were joking that they were the Eagles, right? Yeah. I, I remember coming on with D-Mac and Derek and saying, who are half these guys? We we don't know who these dudes are, and and Bed, Bednar patched it together again. They're they're a point back of the stars with a game in hand. They finished strong. They're on a six game winning streak. They're not only going to win their division; they may win the West. 
in a year that they have battled more injuries than I can ever remember in covering a hockey season. I mean, a few we- a few weeks and months ago, we were talking about, oh, they're not going to have home ice in any series in the playoffs. Now they may have home home ice possibly, if not all the way through the Western Conference playoffs, at least for the first couple of rounds here. It is in their hands completely. It is. Because with that game in hand, they control their own destiny right. in the Central. Remarkable, yeah. re- remarkable job. This is uh, richly, it's richly deserved. And if it's and if you look at recent champions in the NHL, between you know Colorado and Tampa Bay, and Tampa Bay, you know had John Cooper had some success early, but there were people after 2019 when they won the when they won the President's Trophy, and then they lost in the first round of Columbus. There was a lot of heat on John Cooper then. They stayed the course with him. They won back-to-back cups. The Avs stayed the course with Jared Bednar. They won the Stanley Cup. I think there's a lesson there that a lot of teams can follow. Yeah, I like that. That's well said. And on a quick personal note, Jared Bednar is my favorite coach I have ever covered. He's the only pro coach I've ever had conversations with where he asks me how I'm doing. Yeah. You know, what part of town are you living in these days? What's going on in your personal life? That kind of stuff. And th- those little personal touches uh, can go a long way in terms of, you know, I'm just some schmuck that Jared Bednard doesn't care about. He's got 100 guys who want to talk to him. But he just, he gets it on a human level. And the reason I bring that up, Mace, is because you're talking about these personal interactions. Mm-hmm. If he can treat me like that, imagine how he interacts with his players. Yeah. I think that's a good sign for, for the future of the Avs. One of the things I always love about Gary Kubiak is he's the same type of person. I remember when he was coaching Houston, and I'd see him at the Combine, and by the, I was either in Carolina or I was you know back here. But I, it, it could be – it was five, six – even seven years after he was in Denver, and I'd still talk to him at the combine, like how you know, how are you doing? How's everything? You know, where you know, where are you? Little things like that mean a great deal. I'll also say this is why you'll probably never get me to say a lot of bad things about Adam Gase because he's that type of person too. Mm, okay, interesting. Little interesting, interesting story. Frankly, Adam, Adam Gase is one of those people who also has that touch in terms of asking you like you know how's it going you know how's your family that kind of thing sure so no it goes a long way because there are definitely coaches and i won't name names because we're all happy good feeling right now Mm -hmm. uh that are not that way who have who have come through this town so uh who still may be even in this town all right mace the news of the day that uh is is a footnote in a sense because it's punter punters are people too the jokes like that and but they I use their foot. I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was that part of the footnote line with the fact that it's a punter. I may have thought about that. Oh my gosh! But yeah. the larger picture, Mace. First of all, you're going to do a better job than I am. So fill us in on why Riley Dixon's in and Corliss Waitman, who we thought was on the team, got a tender, is suddenly out. Okay. Well, first of all, that tender that Corliss Waitman got is what they call an exclusive rights tender, and basically, it's you sign that or you're not playing football based on how it's structured in terms of where he is in terms of exper- of experience. He, he's not even eligible for to be a restricted free agent. So you sign that tender and that's it. And then usually you're, you're back. But the thing about it is not a dime of that is guaranteed. So you sign that, you still got to make the team to make your money, right? There's no signing or anything like that. Okay, so the Broncos, by cutting him, didn't like hurt their salary cap situation. No dead cap. Okay. On what they did today, which was 
They sign Riley Dixon, who is an eight-year veteran and was a 2016 draft pick of the Broncos. He most recently with the Los Angeles Rams. Had a good year last year, career high in, uh, in gross punting average, 48.1 yards. And when they signed Riley Dixon, I thought, okay, maybe there's going to be a competition here. Sure. If you look at where the two of them ranked last year in gross punting, which is just how long your punt is, and net punting, which accounts for the punt return as well. Riley Dixon in gross punting was 11th, and in net punting was 13th. Um, Corliss Waitman was 20th and 16th. So you're talking about two punters. Riley Dixon's on the high end of the mid-tier. Corliss Waitman's on the on the low end of the mid-tier, right? Yep. But they're kind of both in that middle one. And, and Waitman, it was his first full season last year. So you thought, okay, maybe a competition might make sense. Right. Nope. Corliss Waitman, see ya. They rescinded the tender. Oh, that's harsh, man. Yeah. Can you imagine if someone offered you nine hundred and forty grand, and then a week later said, "Eh, just kidding." Well, you have to make the con- make the team to get the nine hundred and forty large. I know, but it feels like if I'm Corliss Waitman, yeah. I just pocketed nine hundred and forty grand, and nope, it got snatched away from me. Yeah, it's it's tough for Corliss Waitman. Now, I imagine. I, 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 no, I don't imagine. I know that they did kind of they did, they did sit down and evaluate Corliss Waitman, and certainly he had an inconsistent year. We saw kind of the high in Week Three against San Francisco when he he had a brilliant night of placement punting mm-hmm. and actually got the game ball from NBC after the Broncos won that. Oh game. gosh, that tells you how bad the the Broncos season was. They were giving the game ball to a punter. Well, you couldn't give it to anyone on offense. Right? I know the final score was eleven to ten. I mean, I was going to say, didn't like they give like didn't Kendall Hinton get one of the game balls or maybe or something like that? It wasn't uh, any Russell Wilson. Bad memories of how bad that game was. A game the Broncos even won. But anyways, Corliss so, yeah, Waitman game. Corliss Waitman was the Bronco, arguably the Broncos' best player. He was one of them that night. But I'm the punter nerd in this town, and I'm the person who's up in the press box clocking hang times, and. What we saw from Corliss Waitman to help him win the job and in the summertime, and yes, there were salary concerns at play as well, but in practice, he was much more consistent at getting those like four eight, four nine, five second hang times. Like sometimes, he what's was, a good hang time for the average person driving around? Okay. who's not a punting nerd. It's generally speaking, it's a tenth of a second per yard. Okay, so like. A 45-yard punt, you want to have 4.5 seconds of hang time. Interesting. I've never – see, I, this is why I like doing the show with you. I learned something new. And that is, that's commonly that's commonly held among special teams coaches. I learned that specifically from Tom McMahon. I know he's not a name that people uh, want to hear about around here, but, I mean, he's, he does know his stuff technically. Uh, uh, Tom McMahon's problem was that he had a vision in his mind of how it was supposed to go, but – Sometimes he struggled with accepting the reality of the humans that were doing it on the field, like uh, insisting on having Brian McMass kick uh, short into the into the right to set up a a, a poo, kind of a, a, a kickoff to set up a return that would end up inside the twenty yard line yep. against the Chargers when most of the kick return team or kick coverage team was decimated by COVID. And, of course, you have a bunch of new guys out there. They don't take their lanes properly, and next thing you know, it's going back in the other direction. Went to the house. Yeah, Tom, Tom McMahon had that kind of – had a problem of taking it from 
his mind where everything worked to with the actual players doing it where it frequently didn't work. Most of us are still scarred by yeah. kicks like that from Super Bowl forty eight. Yes. When Matt Prater did the same thing to Percy Harvin and uh-huh. that ended that game effectively it twelve did. seconds into the second half. All these are examples of how special teams can lose your games. And and how we have talked over and over about one special team's gaffe after another, right? Mm. It's like, okay, last year, you know, they don't get lined up properly. You had Kendall Hinton uh, getting onto the field late in London, resulting in he was a delay a of game. <laughs> That's what Dwayne Stukes, said, you know, theorized. Yeah, did right? we ever figure out if that was true or not, by the I way? I don't think he was eating a hot dog. Okay. No, he was. It, Stukes was making a metaphor there, okay? There you go. That's... That's what. That's what it was. I mean, just joking. Like, what's he doing? I don't know. He's he's eating a hot dog over there. Um, but this brings us full circle yes. to why they made this move today. Yeah. It, you look at what has happened the last few weeks. First of all, Sean Payton, who's his assistant head coach? Uh, Mike Westoff. Right. Special teams guy. Yep. The second in command, the right-hand man of Sean Payton is a special teams coach. Now, they have Ben Kotwika, who is the special teams coordinator. But make no mistake, Westhoff's going to have a lot to do with what that show looks like. And if you're carving a Mount Rushmore of special teams coaches of the last quarter century, Westhoff's on that on that uh, Mount Rushmore. He's that good. Yeah. Jerry Rosberg would be there, too, believe it or not. Jerry Bear. Yeah. Shout out. Yeah, shout out to Jerry Bear. Yeah. This phase immediately started getting better the moment Jerry Rosberg became the head coach. Oh, yeah. They made some nice special teams plays they the pulled, final two weeks They of the pulled season. themselves off the bottom of the league. I think it was in, um, in, in, uh, in Football Outsiders, special teams DVOA, that they, they were 32nd. They moved themselves up the last couple of weeks because they actually did some good things. But it's still a unit that needs to be overhauled. It needs to be overhauled. And so it's not just we're talking about Riley Dixon here. When you're talking about the fullback, Mike Burton, the tight end, Chris Manhurts. The running back, Samaj P. Ryan. Uh, the cornerback, who's also a kickoff returner and a gunner in Traymond Smith. Even re-signing a restricted free agent like P.J. Locke and bringing back Alex Singleton. These are all players who are going to factor in on special teams. And Singleton, inside linebacker, may not play as many snaps, but given their point of emphasis here and trying to get that phase up would not surprise me if he's involved. At least he's going to be in the meetings. And philosophically, this is a Bill Parcells thing. Sean Payton worked under Bill Parcells in Dallas for three years. And Bill Parcells wrote in his book that if you are going in and trying to turn around a team, you come in that first year, a way to make a quick and positive impact on that team to get improvement is to upgrade the special teams. All right, so this leads me to the question that I think will pique most people's interest because it's the most famous player on the special teams, not just in Denver, but across the NFL, and that is the place kicker. Is Brandon McManus in any sort of trouble with this new coaching staff, particularly given that McManus was up and down last year He's known to be a specialist for his leg, yet he didn't deliver on some of the deep, long field goals that the Broncos needed. Not that anyone's holding against him 64 yards in Seattle, but he could have done himself a lot of favor if he did make that kick. Do you expect 
I'm not saying it'll be a Waitman-Dixon situation where, you know, Waitman's here, he's cut the next day, Dixon's in, whatever. But do you expect competition for McManus at training camp? I think is is sort of the question a lot of people would be curious about when it comes to the special teams. I would be surprised if there's not competition for McManus. Interesting. Again, you just ziggied Corliss Waitman, and he's 16th in net punting, 20th in gross punting. If you look at Brand McManus's metrics, he was in the bottom six to eight kickers, depending by what you go by last year. Even taking out like the sixty-four yarder that he should never have been asked to try. Sure, um, he didn't have a good season, and this and 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 you're adjusting for the length of the kicks, uh, but he's one. He's been one of the. Uh, one of the lower tier kickers in the league the last few years in terms of and last year in particular in terms of accuracy from 50 to 59 yards beyond 59 when you get to 60 plus it's really just kind of a crapshoot okay but 50 to 59 now is a fairly makeable range for most kickers so McManus won't be showing up to training camp in his referee jersey and messing around all summer like we've seen the last couple years my advice for Brandon McManus completely unsolicited would be to just just do your job and kick to the best of your ability. Because the best of Brandon McManus's ability, he'll win the job. Yeah. But he's got to show that to a coaching staff that appears bent on change. Like, okay, Jacob Bobenmore, perfectly perfectly cromulent long snapper in Simpsons parlance, right? There you go. Okay. They let him go to the Raiders, and uh, they got Mitchell Forboni, but don't be surprised to see another long snapper come in and battle for that job. They they ziggied Corliss Waitman today for, you could argue, less than what Brennan McManus did last year, okay? And now, now one thing that could help McManus is... He's worked with Riley Dixon before because part of being the punter is also being the holder. Oh, they're like best buddies. Yes. Because we've all observed that with our own two eyes at training camp. They, Dixon and McManus could not have had more fun together. And I, I saw that right in front of me every single day for a couple summers in a row. And we saw it and we've seen in camp it hasn't been quite the same vibe for BMAC first with, um, with Marquette King back in 2018 camp. With uh, Colby Wadman back in 2019 camp. Yep. Although it looked like he got along famously with Sam Martin the last couple of years before the Broncos cut him uh, in the in the preseason. But yeah, th- this is going to be interesting to watch because if if that is something obviously be positive for McManus, but you can't help but be nervous probably if you look and see that the long snapper has changed and the punter has changed and. Oh, by the way, the second-in-command to Sean Payton is a special teams guru, and Payton will take Mike Westhoff's advice on almost everything. I would advise anybody on Broncos special teams to find a way to make sure that Mike Westhoff likes you. All right, well, changes in the air at Dove Valley, and on a different note, you can experience the great American RV show that is coming to the Colorado Convention Center Thursday, March 30th through Saturday, April 1st. They've got regional RV and camper dealers united to give you the best deals. And whether you're looking to buy or plan your next camping adventure, the Great American RV Show is the place to be. Guess what? We can get you there. Be caller for right now. 303-713-1043 and you will win a four-pack of tickets 
to the Great American RV Show. These passes are good for all three days. Caller number four, 303-713-1043. All right, coming up next, the trade rumors just won't stop on the wide receivers. What's the latest one? We'll fill you in. Sports tonight on Denver Sports Station 1043 The Fan. If you missed those tickets, we will be giving them away all week. So you can try again tomorrow, Thursday, or Friday. I wrote a column today, Mace, denversports.com, that, uh, you know what? I'll just say it. I was glad to give all the shows on the station talking points. I heard it on the front page with Stinkin' Evans. I heard Chad Brown give me a bit of a hard time and then sort of coming around to the idea. I talked about it with Stoke and Zach. I know Matt in for DMAC and Derek discussed it on the drive. So it's kind of the, the obvious column in the sense that this is the biggest story surrounding the Broncos right now. But I actually took a stance that I was surprised most people did not agree with. And that is that I think the Broncos would be making a massive mistake by trading Jerry Judy. Obviously, these rumors ramped up even more yesterday when the Dallas Morning News reported that the Cowboys were offered Jerry Judy for a first-round pick and said no. Where do you stand? And we discussed this a little, but now that the asking price is coming more into focus, where do you stand on trading Jerry Judy pros and cons and, and which one outweighs the other to you? I mean, the pr- the pros are obviously if you could get back a first-round pick, and that that seems to be the Broncos' asking price. Um, then you could potentially use that pick on a receiver. There's there, there are plenty of receivers available in this draft class. And you mentioned in the article that you kind of reset and restart the clock. Yes. Okay. You do. Here's the thing on Jerry Judy. If they've decided not to pick up the fifth-year option on Jerry Judy, I think they should be looking to deal him. Hmm. And they have until May to make that decision? Yes. Early May. Okay. That's the thing. Like, if Now, if he's in their long-term plans, you turn down the trade offers unless they're audacious and you give the fifth-year option and then you start working working on a longer-term deal based on, based on what he does going forward. But I think it's fair to ask with Jerry Judy. So far in his career, we've seen two and a half very inconsistent seasons with some injuries involved, including that high ankle sprain. They really, I thought, derailed him back in 2021 when it looked like he had really good timing with Teddy Bridgewater. That was in the Giants game week one. Yeah. Yep. So two and a half inconsistent seasons. And then a six, seven-game stretch that was tremendous. To close the 2022 right. campaign, that was awesome. Is Jerry Judy going to be that receiver he was at the end of the season? Or is he going to, in the future, especially if you get Tim Patrick back, look more like the receiver who struggled with his consistency over the course of his first two and a half seasons? If you believe it's the latter then you should try to trade him because you could argue that his value is peaking right now. And see, this is where I just totally disagree with you because you mentioned at the start, why would the Broncos take away one of Russell Wilson's biggest weapons when this season is all about finding out if the former Pro Bowl quarterback nine times in ten years can be fixed? 
why would Sean Payton and George Payton want to turn Judy into another rookie the team has to start over with because we're assuming that first rounder would be used on a wide receiver. To me, it just doesn't compute if they pull the trigger on this deal because you can't answer the question, is Russ fixed if you're taking away Russ's biggest assets? But at the same time, you're asking Russ to elevate What's around him? That's part of what you pay an elite quarterback for. You pay that kind of money to elevate what's to elevate what's around him. And on top of to that, elevate Brandon Johnson. Well, you're getting Tim Patrick back, who's coming off an ACL. KJ yeah. Hamler coming off an ACL. Cortland Sutton coming off an ACL. Judy's the only one of the four big names in that room who's not knock on all the wood popped his ACL in the NFL. But clearly, we see the Broncos want to change the dynamic in that room because they had interest in Alan Lazard. And they had interest in M. M. Thielen. They're thinking in terms of getting somebody else in that room. And you know what? So replace do, Cortland Sutton, I would hope. If they, if they, and if they do that, great. The problem with Cortland Sutton is if you trade him, you're trading at a value low point. Because coming off of four touchdowns in the last two years and have not having been the same since his ACL, if you trade him, you're basically doing a salary dump at this point. You may even have to assume some of that salary responsibility in order to get a draft pick of any reasonable value, like a fourth-round pick for him. Because right now, that contract does not have a lot of teams interested in Cortland Sutton. Okay, but even if you had to eat half of it, let's say, that could have given you enough room to sign Adam Thielen, who openly discussed that he spoke with the Broncos. Whereas if you move Judy Mace... You're just getting out from a rookie deal. You're not getting much cap space at all if you move Jerry Judy. Another reason why I think it doesn't make sense. Well, but here's the thing. Like, let's let's say you've got two paths here, and you could have Jerry Judy and re-sign him to a long-term deal that could give him a big cap number, or you go back into the draft pool and you draft a wide receiver, and all of a sudden you're starting the clock on five years of t- of cost control. When you have Russell Wilson's big numbers coming up here contractually in the future. But Russell Wilson won't be the QB in five years, let alone three, if he can't turn it around. And again, how are we going to give Russ a fair shake to turn this around by removing his best weapon? I mean, it's a fair argument to make, but I think there are there are multiple considerations to consider, including whether Russ is your quarterback in 2024 or not. Either way, that's when you start getting into those huge salary cap numbers that you can only manipulate but so much, especially when you've clearly decided to make a priority of building the trenches. Right. I think over the next couple of years, the Broncos aren't done with big contracts on the offensive line. I, I, I hear you on that. And, and even if you're a run-first team, and I've heard that argument from a couple of people today, Okay, you're a run-first team. The Philadelphia Eagles were a run-first team. They scored four rushing touchdowns in the NFC title game against the San Francisco 49ers. But they still had A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, weapons through the air for Jalen Hurts. Even if you're a run-first team, you have to give Russell Wilson someone to throw the ball to, someone to hit the possibility of the 70-yard home run. Because, yeah, maybe that guy's Hamler this year, but Sutton's not that guy. Tim Patrick's not that guy. Jerry Judy, and we saw it a couple times, he's that guy for your run, 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 play action, bomb, touchdown, Judy. I mean, look, if if you want Jerry Judy around for the long term, then by all means, you don't make a trade. But the fact that the, the, the fact that the Broncos are fielding calls and that they're and look and they have a price tag, they have a price tag on everybody. That's just the way it is in the NFL. Sure, but 
I think it leads to a bigger conversation about what Sean Payton and his staff see in terms of what they're trying to do in terms of rebuilding. And sometimes it's, okay, you've got a good player here, but or a decent player, but you can go get somebody different. Is it like in a... This is a weird analogy. A transfusion of an attitude transfusion. I've heard this before, that in broken marriages, it's either get divorced or have another kid. Now, maybe that's not the best strategy in the world, but there are couples that either we're going to make it work with one extreme or we're going to go our separate ways in the other extreme. I promise I'm getting back to football. With Judy, is it either trade him now or pick up the fifth-year option? It's one of the two extremes, just like... Either getting divorced or having another kid is one of the two extremes. I would argue so, yes. Like, if you're going to bring Judy back, then you go ahead and you, you you get that other year of team control for the 2020 and cost control for the 2024 season. I mean, I think the uh, the the fifth-year option for Jerry Judy, I believe it checks in at around $9, $10 million. That's a bargain considering what you're paying Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick. Right. That's in my eyes. That's a pretty – I'd have to confirm it, but that's a pretty fair type of – of of deal uh, for um, for for Jerry Judy if you bring him back. Well, in my book, it's time to put an end to the speculation. They should exercise the fifth year option, keep him under team control until the spring of twenty twenty five. That would show that management has faith in Judy. That would probably calm some of his nerves, some of these rumors, and that makes that kicks the can down the road on a future long term deal. You get two more years of tape to decide if you want to pay him the big money. If he plays great next season, hammer something out. If not. Provides one more year the team gets to keep him, see if he can continue to reset potential. And I would say, for example, um, back two months ago, NFL.com, an article agreed with you and did say that he's one of the players on whom went through every first-round pick in 2020, who to pick up, who to move on from. NFL.com said, yeah, pick up the fifth-year option on Jerry Judy. Hmm. Sounds like uh, me and NFL.com are on the same page. One of the few. Because, Mace, I'm not trying to paint you in a corner, but I'm going to put you in the camp of the Stokes and the Zacks and the Chad Browns of the world that would be uh, would be okay with moving Jerry Judy. If you've decided that you're not going to pick up the fifth-year option, absolutely you move on. And and if if for me personally, if someone offers you a first-round pick, even one that's in the 20s, and uh, and that you might be able to turn that into Jalen Hyatt out of Tennessee, and if that's the case... With all respect to Jerry Judy, I think I'd rather have Hyatt starting his career out and starting the five years of team control, so putting the clock back to zero. All right, we'll see how it plays out. Coming up next, the draft is around the corner. The Broncos don't pick till the third round, but what position is the most crucial to address now that free agency has settled? We'll fill you in. Sports Station 1043 The Fan presents Denver Sports Tonight. So the Broncos will not pick until the third round in next month's draft. 67 and 68 to be exact, but that obviously could change, particularly if Jerry Judy gets moved for a premium or somewhat premium pick in the next five weeks or so before the draft. But Mace, now that the dust has kind of settled on free agency, if you will, and we're going to still see minor stuff. Heck, we saw a move today with uh, Riley Dixon in, Corliss Waitman out. What position, particularly those back-to-back picks, uh, I'll ask you a two-parter, should be addressed? Your opinion, 
will be addressed what you think the Broncos will do. I would go for running back with one of those two picks, especially with the questions about about Javante Williams and whether he's going to be available and back to where he once was. And I think also the the value is right. Someone like Ty J Spears out of Tulane might be sitting right there for the taking. New Orleans. Early in the third round. Right? Isn't Tulane in New Orleans? Yeah, it is. It's a Sean Payton connection. Exactly. I mean, I know we're kind of joking, but everything New Orleans seems to, you know, come up in the Broncos. Room Sean Payton still has a place in New Orleans. Okay. So he's probably seen the kid play. He's actually said that, like, Having a place in New Orleans, that's something he'll have until he dies. That's a great city. That's Honestly, how, that's how that much city. it means to him to have, to have New Orleans continue to be a part of his life. Sean Payton, man, he's sitting on some serious bank because like, he's got a place in New Orleans. He's building the place out in L.A. I mean, I'm sure he's going to have a nice place here. You know, he's, that dude That dude is living large. Well, how much money did he make from Fox last year? $10 million, I think. And how much the Broncos paying him? More than that. You can build a lot of houses with that kind of coin. Yeah, it's like uh, Michael Caine once said, uh, you know, after doing uh, the fourth Jaws movie, by all accounts, it's terrible, but I've seen the big, the house that it built, and it is fabulous. So you would go running back. Does that mean the decision on Latavius Murray can wait until after the draft? Because I've heard oh. some folks say, well, why don't they re-sign Latavius now? And in my eyes... Latavius, the guy who could be there in May, could be there in June. Mm-hmm. You don't have to make that decision today. Exactly. You hit the nail on the head. Latavius Murray, a veteran running back, doesn't have a lot of teams banging down his door for his services. You can wait. And, and we've seen over the years that plenty of positions, the Broncos have found players who can contribute May, June, even into July and August. Look, they signed Camp Fleming right at the start of training camp last year, and he was pretty solid for them. He was. So... Latavius, you can just sit there, and if you don't get a running back that you can plug in uh, that'll help you out right away, then you sign Latavius Murray and you go on. So I'd look at running back. but what, uh, I'm going to pause yeah. you real quick, okay? yeah. just because we have something interesting that just came down from, okay. from Mike Kliss here in the last minute. Uh, it's by no means huge news, but it's really interesting. So I want to get to it because we only have about seven minutes left. Okay. Uh, per source to Kliss, Penn State quarterback and Rose Bowl MVP, Sean Clifford had a one-hour Zoom visit today with Broncos QB coach Davis Webb. Um, besides the 30 headquarter draft prospect visits, teams can have three different one-hour Zoom conferences with prospects leading up to the late April draft. Mace, this is really interesting because as we are having our draft discussion with only five picks, I don't think many people think quarterback is on the Broncos' radar. And then as our show is ending, we get Cliss sort of Dropping this uh, really interesting piece of news that Sean Clifford, a Penn State quarterback and a Rose Bowl MVP, the Broncos use a Zoom visit on him. Your reaction to this news, and does it make you think due diligence or actual shot quarterbacks coming in for some even more competition to go along with Jared Stidham? Okay, would not at all surprise me to see a late-round pick or a priority free agent used on a quarterback. Now, the interesting thing on Sean Clifford specifically is he's got some mobility to him. He will take off and run. What I see as the genesis of some interest in Sean Clifford is maybe a little bit of a Taysom Hill type. Whoa, okay, go go on, go on. Sean Payton obviously thrived with Taysom Hill Mm -hmm. the last couple years in New Orleans. Do you think that is Sean Payton's... Uh, bread and butter or identity, or is that something he did to adjust 
with Drew Brees on the tail end of his career, although I guess you could argue Russell Wilson is in a similar phase of his career. I think a little bit of a change of pace type quarterback uh, uh, that you can throw some some tactical curveballs at a defense uh, with is intriguing. He is somebody who, uh, again, like if you're talking about him as a pure passer mechanically, this is not somebody who is um, this is not somebody who you're talking about as a prime prospect. This is a developmental prospect, but the mobility, the ability to take off, I think uh, makes him an intriguing potential fit in that quarterback room. And look, even with Jared Stidham, I expected the Broncos would add a young quarterback in there. And um, man, that is that, that that's a spicy meatball, is Sean Clifford. This is really interesting from Cliss. I wish we had more time to dissect it. Uh, our own Cecil Lammy is going to post something about it at denversports.com, get his thoughts on it. I'm sure you can check that out in the next hour or so. But Sean Clifford, the Penn State quarterback, the Rose Bowl MVP, we all obviously watched the Rose Bowl this year, saw several moments from the kid. I, I, I think, too, Mace, this is the first notion on March 21st at 6.53. Yeah, Stidham was interesting. But with this news from Mike, even as a Taysom Hill, the Russell Wilson mm-hmm. one-year audition is a very real thing. Very real thing. It is a one-year audition under Sean Payton. And it's fascinating that if, if you have Sean Clifford and Jared Stidham you have a couple of quarterbacks who are very different. I mean, Sean Clifford is an RPO quarterback. Mm. Jared Stidham is he projects as more of a pocket quarterback. Is he? Uh, you made the the Taysom Hill like. Is he like a better throwing version of Tim Tebow? Just to sort of localize it. Okay, and I would actually even say a better throw, a better passing version of Taysom Hill as well. Interesting. Wow. And this was not as much, not as explosive as a runner, but he can do all the RPO stuff, and he's a better passer. And this was with Davis Webb, the recently hired uh-huh. QB coach, who just got done playing in the league this year. If I'm Russell Wilson tonight, Mace, I'm sleeping well because I'm Russell Wilson, but I might be tossing and turning a little bit with this news coming down. Of course, we did see how Taysom Hill and Drew Brees could coexist. So if you have somebody that you're asking to play a Taysom Hill role. Perhaps that could coexist with Russell Wilson. Whereas Jared Stidham is truly there for emergency purposes. Yeah, he's 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 not the change of pace guy. And also, we'll get into this from the league meetings next week. A potential rules change in the offing regarding third quarterbacks in the roster, and it may behoove you to always have a third quarterback on your fifty-three in terms of having an extra player. Yeah, I think Clifford will be a day three guy. Uh, that one of those five picks that you know George Payton would like to turn into six or seven picks. We'll see if. He winds up in Denver, but I think we can say it. March 21st, so it begins. QB watch in the draft for the Denver Broncos. All right, it was a fun show. Uh, Kyle Freeland's on the mound in the World Baseball Classic. He struck out Shohei Otani, but he also gave up a massive home run. Jared Bednar gets extended. We get some fun news at the end of the show. Punter drama. Mace, have a great night. For KJ, for Andrew, for Will, Denver Sports Station, 104.3, the fan. Yeah. Yeah.